passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors. And usually I teach on the Spirit Lake campus, but Pastor Jordan and I have been, during the summer, been switching back and forth. And I actually get the privilege of being here for a second week with you guys. And so I consider that truly a great honor to be able to be here. I want to begin in a way that's a little different. Uh, last week, we were speaking about uh, taming the tongue, finishing up that series on taming the tongue. And when I got done with my speaking, and I sort of reflected back on some of the things I said, I sort of found myself regretting some of the things I said as I was speaking about the, careful, the importance of being careful of what we say. Isn't that irony? Isn't that great? You know, you're speaking on how to honor God in your speech, and you regret your own speech. So I wanted to just make some clarifications and just iron some of that out in case there was some misunderstanding. At one point, I was using an illustration of how sometimes people try to control language to control your thinking, and I made sort of an offhanded comment that wasn't originally in my manuscript about the LGBTQ community, and I realized later when I said it, it was like I spoke that in a way that was sort of unloving towards that community, and that was not my intent. If anyone in the community would be offended, I want them to be offended by the words of Jesus, not, not my words. In fact, I'd want them to know that as a church, we may not agree with their lifestyle, but we love them as people who need Jesus, just like we need Jesus. We're all desperately in need of Jesus. And so I wanted to make sure that was, that was clear. And I asked the Lord, Lord, forgive me, but I also know that when you sin, you don't just confess your sin to the Lord, you confess your sin to the other people you may have hurt. So I felt I needed to just begin by communicating that with you guys. Um, the other thing is when I, one of my illustrations, I mentioned a, a political president in it, and I realized that some people were taking that like we were trying to be a political church or that I was trying to preach politics, and that was not my intent at all. It was just an illustration, and that happened to be involved with president. And I wanted to mention that, see, as a church, we don't try to fall on one side of the political aisle or the other. We're not a political church. We're a Jesus church. I want to make that very clear. There's a um, saying I haven't used here, but it's near and dear to my heart. It's actually on the, the very top of my website. I've kept it there for a long time because this is, this is what I truly believe. And it's this, the problem is always sin. And the answer is always Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's war in Europe. It doesn't matter if it's the COVID-19 pandemic. It doesn't matter if it's relational breakdown or divorce. Or the problem at its root is always an issue of sin. And when sin is the problem, folks, Jesus is the only answer to the problem of sin. Not a political solution. Politics, yes, should we be involved in politics? Should we vote? Of course. We're, we're citizens of a country. We have a responsibility to vote and try and honor God that way. But as a church, we're very clearly telling you that the answer is not found in a politician. The answer for the problems is Jesus, because the problem behind all your problems is our struggle with sin. Amen? So I wanted to make that abundantly clear. 
and uh, also just to repent because for anybody who want to, and then my comments that may have come off in the in the wrong way, and make those two things clear. So if you could, let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to go ahead and get into our study. Heavenly Father, even as we were talking last week about the importance of our words and how easily we can miscommunicate things with our words. Forgive me for miscommunicating things with my own words. And Jesus, I know I'm not the only person who's done that. All of us do that. And I thank you that it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you for being such a forgiving God. May we be a people who are just drawn to you because of your love and your grace. And may we especially love our community around us, reaching them with Jesus. Help me this morning as I continue in our, in our new study, we'll be able to teach well. And may we honor you with our lips as we study your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series. This series is called Broken Vessels. And the focus of this series is how God, as we look at the Bible, he loves to use very ordinary people. He loves to use broken people in really significant ways for Christ and his kingdom. Most of us forget that. We read the Bible and we see all those superheroes in the Bible, people that are bigger than life like Moses, people like Paul, those amazing people. And we think that that's great, but look at the way their their name was always in the lights. They're, they're super popular, they're super out there. We're like, oh, that's not me. But you need to know, as you read your Bible and trace your finger through the text, the Bible has a lot of minor characters. People that just are found in only a few verses. And as you look at them, you find that amazingly, God tends to use these very ordinary people, these very behind-the-scenes people, in some very amazing and important ways. I love that, because I'm not going to be some famous person. Most of us here aren't going to be some kind of famous person. We're not the kind of people that have 100,000 followers on social media. You know, like, I'm happy if I have 12, you know? <laughs> but... The reality is, God still uses us. He uses ordinary people. And we're going to see this morning and throughout this series some great things he does. And I hope you find that incredibly encouraging. So you wonder, who are we going to look at this morning as we start this? We're going to look at a guy today named Barnabas. Maybe you know a little bit about him. We could call him Barney for short. And that's not because I want you to identify him with a large purple dinosaur. It's simply because Barnabas, as I study him, we can see he's a guy who's very comfortable. He's a guy comfortable with nicknames. And I think he's a guy that many of us would get along with well. He's mentioned in just a few passages in the New Testament. What we're going to do is work through those passages and see what we can learn about him. What were the very ordinary things about him that God used to make a difference? What made that guy tick? And what were the fascinating things God did through his life? And along the way, I hope you're greatly encouraged. So if you take your outlines out, we'll be on the top. The first thing we have here is let's just meet Barnabas. We're first introduced to him in Acts chapter 4. 
at that time, things were going extremely well in the church. Everyone was unified in prayer, unified in purpose. We see this in Acts chapter 4, 32 through 34. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Let's begin at the top. It says everyone was united. People were getting along. Things were working well. And I just want to begin and tell you, that's not the description of the average church meeting, is it? Our church is known for being ultra-united. Usually when you give church meetings, you have people from different backgrounds with different agendas and, and different opinions. And sometimes church meetings can be sort of conflictual. You know, you have those people who want to get the nice goldfish crackers for the nursery. And then you have those people who really want to save money and just recycle the leftover communion from the week before. You know, yeah, 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 and people can get really bent out of shape on those little tiny things in church meetings. Now, sometimes church meetings can sort of resemble a UFC fight club, but they don't use boxing gloves, they use Bibles instead. You know, it's just funny how that goes. Now, I'm going to tell you, by the way, thankfully I've been at Crosswinds for 15 years. That is not what our church meetings look like. Amen, praise God, but I have been in ministry for over 30, and I've been in some churches that that's what their church meetings look like. The early church was different. They were very unified, and that may not sound important, but you need to understand they had great diversity. They came from different ages. They came from completely different backgrounds. Some of them even spoke different languages. Remember the background People had come to Jerusalem for Passover, pilgrims, and then you had the resurrection of Jesus. And then 50 days later, people were there for Pentecost, out-of-town people. And then you have the Holy Spirit coming on the apostles, and then you have the preaching, the church is born, you've got 3,000 people at one day, and everybody is hanging out together, but they're really, really diverse. They're really, really different. But amazingly, they're unified. Where does that come from? The Bible tells us where unity in any church is found, and that comes from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says this, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. True unity in a church comes when the people of the church are walking in step with God's Holy Spirit in the church. So God is actually guiding and directing us together, not our own little individual agendas, not our own little visual age groups, not our own little visual cultures. Those things are secondary because Jesus is primary. But notice what Paul says about unity in Ephesians 4.3. Unity from the Holy Spirit, he says, is fragile. It must be maintained. It must be pursued. It has to be worked on. In other words, in a church, there will be differences of opinion between people. That's going to happen. 
but the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us work through those differences of opinion so we grow in love for one another. Not so we're torn apart in hatred and animosity towards one another. There's going to be those differences. We have to work through those things together. I want you to picture the early church uh, after Pentecost a little bit, and maybe this is going to fall, fall down, but I'll just explain it to me. In my mind, what I picture it like is the homeless camps that you see in some of the major cities across our nation. You have these people who are from all over the country, all over the, the world, that were there in Jerusalem. They didn't bring enough supplies and things to stay long term. And you have the resurrection of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit coming. Everyone's staying together. They don't want to necessarily leave. They've run out of guest rooms. They're in tents on the street. This is what's going on. Yet they're unified. But here's the problem. Many of them are homeless and many of them are hungry. And here's where we read this shocking line. In spite of all these people who are homeless and hungry that are different and huddled together, there is not a needy person among them. In spite of the massive benevolence needs, people of resources brought to the church the resources that were needed to feed the hungry and homeless people. It is in that context that we meet the man we're going to be studying this morning, Barnabas. This is what we read. Thus, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a, a, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Uh, here's our Joseph guy. First thing we learn about him is his name is not actually Barnabas. His name is Joseph. Barnabas is his nickname. It was given to him by the church leaders. Now, most of us would like to forget the nicknames we've been called, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Every once in a while, a good nickname, like Apple, is given to people, and they stick, right? But most of us would like to forget it. In this case, Joseph is given a nickname. He is nicknamed by the apostles the man Barnabas, which means the one who is such an encouragement. What a good nickname to have, the encourager. And I want to pause and just talk to you for a moment about the importance of this very simple thing called encouragement. Folks, life is hard. Can I get an amen on that? It is very hard. If you're like me, each week things come into your life that just break your heart. For some people, it's working the long hours. For some people, it's the pace that never ends. For some people, as they get older, it's the pain that is constantly in their body. Some people have children that make choices that keep their parents up through the night, night after night where they cannot make it through. Some people, especially with financial difficulties now with inflation, they're up wondering how they can provide for their family. Life is hard, folks. Not only is, is life hard, but it gets even harder when people are hard on you. Anybody have people that have been hard on you? People who yell at you, 
people who demean you, people who raise their voice at you, that kind of stuff just takes the life right out of your heart, doesn't it? This is why it's so important to have encouragers. Life is hard. People can be hard. We all need someone that can encourage us, don't we? When life is difficult. We all need a kind word or two to build someone up. You have no idea the huge difference simple words of encouragement can make in someone's life. Those simple words of encouragement may just be a smile when you see them in the hall. It may just be a word or two to say, hey, you know, I want you to know I really appreciated something you did. Thank you for leading worship. Thank you for helping in the nerd. Those little things make a huge difference. And ordinary people in the church who encourage other people and lift them up is just an incredibly huge thing. Let me be candid with you. I don't want you to know my whole background. You don't need to know that. But I do need to tell you this. There have been in my life some incredibly dark times. I've gone through some really deep valleys of despair, some times of great depression. Um, never considered suicide, but I did ask my wife to take the key to my gun lock. I didn't want to ever find myself going that deep. But it's been really hard. You know, the, the thing is that in those days, you know how God brought me through, not just through prayer and not just through reading the scriptures, but it was one or two ordinary people in the church who had took the time to make a phone call and said, hey, you've been really on my heart. I care. What's going on in your life? They made a huge, incredible difference. One was an elderly pastor who is now with the Lord. He just decided he'd give me a call about every two weeks. He said, I know you're going through a really hard time right now. You know, I've been there. Uh, he's about 80 years old. I've been there. Uh, I just want to pray with you, and I just want to hear what's on your heart. And if it hadn't been for him, you know, I don't know what would have happened in those seasons in life. Just an ordinary person just going out of his way to him encouragement made a huge difference in my life. And I would tell you that ordinary people just taking a few minutes to go out of their way to care about somebody else, especially a Christian brother and sister, you have no idea the significance of that care and concern you show to others. You know, Hebrews 10.25 it says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. When you come to church, it's not just that hopefully you'll hear a sermon. It's not just that you'll sing to Jesus, but you're going to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And every single one of us is on mission to grab somebody, to build them up, and to encourage them. Because folks, life is hard. People are hard. We need encouragers in our life. So I want to ask you, when people think about you, do they think of you as an encourager? If they were, people were forced right now to give you a nickname, they had to give you a nickname, would the encourager be the one they gave you? Or would they give you a, a nickname that's a little less flattering? 
let me tell you a little more here. Let's learn a little more about Joseph. Joseph, whose nickname that everybody calls him by is Barnabas the Encourager, but he's also a Levite, which means he's from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi, they were the ones who worked in the temple. So he was well-educated in Judaism. He knew the law. He knew all the temple sacrifices. That was his background. I mean, that was his, his job. He left all that to follow Jesus. Barnabas was also, we know, from out of town. He didn't come from Jerusalem originally. He was from the island of Cyprus. So go ahead and put that up there if you could, Lucas. I'll show you where Cyprus is. It's a big, big island out there. It appears that he was one of those pilgrims who came to Jerusalem, either doing Passover or Pentecost, was there, and he stayed in town. Now let's look at, since we know this guy is legendary as an encourager, and he's an ordinary person, and this is what he is known for, and how God uses him, just encouraging other people. Let's trace our fingers through some more texts, and let's see how he does that, and see how we can be encouraged by that. It's the second point. Barnabas was an encourager by opening his eyes to see needs and making big sacrifices to meet them. Here's where it continues. We know that people of some means have been giving their resources to the church to meet this massive benevolence need, and we see this. Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he did this because he saw these hungry people. He saw these thousands of homeless people, and somebody needed to feed them. And he knew he had some resources that he could do something about that. Not everybody had resources, but he had some resources. He had a field. And he sold that field, and he brought all of that money and put it at the apostles' feet to be given to those people as food. If you were somebody on the street, and you were there in Jerusalem, and you had children, and you're wondering where your next meal came, and you heard about this one guy who sold a piece of property and brought all the money to the church to make sure you and your children and maybe a thousand other people were fed, what do you think that would make you feel? How encouraged do you think you would be? He was such an encouragement to all those people because when he saw the need, he, he met the need. And I realize this is talking about finances. But folks, not all of us are in a position to just sell a massive piece of property and give a huge benevolent gift. Most of us don't have those kind of resources. But let's talk about something all of us do have. We all have time. We all have the same amount of time each day. And just as we spend money, we can choose how to spend our time. I'll give you an example. When I was first married, uh, I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor actually for 10 years. Uh, Cindy and I bought this 90-year-old farmhouse. And remember, I'm from New York City area, so I don't really understand like farms and things like that. Totally new to me. Don't know what I'm doing. 90-year-old fixer-upper, <laughs> dirt driveway, and all kinds of pits in it. And I thought, oh, I get it. You just put rock on the driveway. So I called up this company and had them bring in a big dump truck, big huge dump truck of this rock, this three-quarter inch size, real angular stuff. And he said, what do you want me to do with that? I said, just dump it all in the corner there. I'll spread it. Oh. 
He looked at me like, really? I'm like, yeah. Well, so I went to grab my shovel and start to spread it. And then, you know, the shovel barely goes into that rock. And then I'm walking all the way to the other end of the driveway. And I'm like, this was the dumbest thing. You know, and I have in my in my newlywed first house, been married one year. I have one shovel and a rake to spread a truckload of rock, and I'm discouraged. It was July, you know, I'm doing this in the heat, and I got a phone call from a guy in the church. I'm never going to forget this. Even the even I start to break this crack up in my voice just telling the story. I got a phone call from the guy in the church. He said, "Hey, we're just so thankful to have you at church as our youth pastor. And how are things going? Just wanted to." So, well, I'm trying to spread rock, and it's just going forever. I think this is going to take the whole summer. And he said, well, you know what? It's Saturday. He says, I'll be right over. And he came over with his own shovel <laughs> and his rake, and we spent the afternoon spreading rock together. He'd have to do that. That was a really tough, nasty job. But he gave up his Saturday on the spot to help me. I was so encouraged. To this day, that man is one of my closest friends. That was 30 years ago. But see, he saw the need. He stopped what he was doing, and he made a big sacrifice to help me. And I was so encouraged, I have never, ever, ever forgotten that afternoon. Folks, you want to think about how you can encourage people? If you see a need in somebody's life, it may be financial like you saw with Barnabas, but it may just be somebody needs some help. You stop what you're doing. You make sacrifice of your time to help them. They will never forget. They will be marvelously encouraged. and You'll make a huge difference in their life. That's what Barnabas does. One of the inventions that I like is caller ID. You guys like caller ID? Well, I'll tell you why, Dick, I gotta tell you why I like caller ID. It's so I can get rid of the telemarketers. That's the only reason. It's because when people start calling, I have no, like, just a number from some small town out of no place. I'm not gonna answer this, because I get sometimes four or five telemarketer calls a day. So I can get these guys out of my life. But if it's somebody I know and you come up on caller ID, I can answer it. I thought to myself, I wonder what it was like, would have been like if they had caller ID in the first century. You know, they, people had their cell phones, and the phone rang. And they saw it was a telemarketer. They'd let it go to voicemail. But what would happen if Barnabas's name came up? You think people answered their phone? They answered it in a heartbeat. Because everybody, everybody is desperate for a little encouragement. And when you have somebody who loves to encourage others, people want to listen. They want to talk. They want to be encouraged. I would ask you, if your name comes up on someone's cell phone, on caller ID, how do they respond? Do they say, oh, this is sort of like a telemarketer. I'll let this go to voicemail. Or do they say, I can't wait to talk to this person because they've always been so incredibly encouraging to me. Folks, encouragement. This very simple, ordinary thing in Barnabas's life, it made a huge difference, and it makes a huge difference in ours as well. Let's look at the third point we see about Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager by assuming the best about people and not the worst. 
We're going to turn here to Acts chapter 9, verse 23. Prior to this, you remember Paul was on his way to Damascus, and he was on his way to arrest Christians, and the, Jesus shows up on the Damascus road. And like, Paul, I'm the guy you're persecuting. He's like, oh, I got this one totally wrong. And so he you know, repents. He goes, actually, typically from he was called Saul at that time, and he's really transformed to a new person, gets sort of the name Paul. He ends up going to Damascus, and instead of persecuting the Christians, he is with the Christians and being encouraged by the Christians. And he spends a bunch of time in Damascus trying to prove that Jesus is the Christ to other people. In fact, the Jews there are so frustrated by Paul, they actually make plans to kill him. They set up guards on the, on the city gates that when he leaves, we're going to bump that guy off. I thought he was one of us. Now he's one of those Christian people. And the Christians hear about this, and they put Paul in hiding, and they're trying to figure out a way to get him out. And somebody has this bright idea that we're going to let him out through a hole in the city wall and drop him to the ground with a rope and a basket. Imagine Paul going over the edge of a very high cliff in a lady's woven basket. Bet you he was praying she was a good weaver, right? You know, he gets to the bottom, he gets out of the city, and he goes to Jerusalem, and that's where we find ourselves. Here we are, pick this up in Acts chapter 9, 26 or 27. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So can you picture this? Paul comes into Jerusalem. He's a new Christian. You know how new Christians are totally fired up about Jesus? You've got to tell everybody about Jesus. That's Paul. And he's like, I didn't just become a Christian, but I actually met Jesus, guys. I'm thrilled. And by the way, I just recently escaped with a basket. But he goes to the people of the church, and he starts to say, hello, my name is Paul, and I'm a new Christian. And slam, they slam the door in his face. Goes to another house, starts to tell the same story. Slam, slams the door in his face. He cannot make any inroads into the church. And I'm sure Paul at that point, he loved Jesus, but he was getting pretty discouraged about the people of Jesus. He would not give him an opportunity to tell his story. Because everybody saw him for what he was in the past. They wouldn't give him an opportunity to see him what he was in the present. You know, folks, what was experienced by Paul in the church of Jerusalem, I think is sometimes experienced in churches across the country today. Isn't that true? People come into the church and we look at them and we evaluate them by what they look like or what the, their past was like. And we say, ah, that person, you see all those tattoos on that person? You see that pink hair? You see that gothic look? And what people start to do is they may not necessarily close the door in their face, but they sort of like shun them. You know how that works? where everybody starts to stay in their own little groups and that person's all by themselves alone and nobody's really open to them. Nobody's really welcoming to them. Barnabas was not that way. Did you notice that? What an encourager. Barnabas saw him. Nobody would talk to Paul. Nobody would give Paul the time of day. But Barnabas built a relationship with him. 
Barnabas took him and got to know him. I'll give you a living example of this. This is very powerful. At least it was in my heart. A few years ago on the Spirit Lake campus, we had a fella come in and it looked really weird. He was a tall black guy. And I said, no problem. I'm okay with that. But he's taking pictures of everything. He was sort of a little weird and was awkward in his personality. And I'm thinking to myself, he's casing the place. He's going to steal our stuff when we come back later. Now, that's just the first thing that comes through my mind. I'm thinking, oh, how dare I think that? He looks like that. Then I had other people in the church come up to me. And a lady come up to me and she goes, I think we have a terrorist. No joke. This is the kind of vibe the guy has given off. Just not fitting. But thankfully, uh, on the Spirit Lake campus, we have at least one person who is truly a Barnabas. One person who didn't shut that guy out, because everybody else was shunning him. He was by himself. Didn't shut him out. Walked over to him, met him, and started to talk with him. And here's what happened. That day, that man invited him to lunch. After that day, that week, that man invited him out to go skiing on the boat, water skiing. In fact, later, he invited that man to be part of his family. It turns out this guy was not from Minneapolis. He was not some kind of weird terrorist. He was actually a J-1 student who was just started working at Arnold's Park. He was from Africa, and he was a Christian. He was just fascinated to see all this kind of technology in America as opposed to what they have in Africa. So he's taking pictures. And here's where it gets so cool. He was studying in Europe to be a medical student. And the man in our congregation, who is the Barnabas, is a medical doctor. And they connected. And he invited that guy into his family, into his home, and made him, adopted him like a son. And it gets better. When he went to go back to school at the end of that year, end of the summer, the funding for his to finish his medical schooling in Europe fell through. Dr. Jim and others in the church worked together and they raised the funds necessary to send Shepherd Goto back to Europe to finish his medical school. Now he came back after that year. And he came back on a Sunday, just worked out for one week, and he said, Pastor, I have to talk to the church. Just impromptu. It's like a and he came up and he got up front and tears were pouring down his face, crying, thanking the church. That's a picture, yeah, of that Sunday. Thanking the church and thanking the people of the church for welcoming him, thanking the people of the church for going out of their way to make it possible for him to go back to medical school. Since then, he's gone back. Uh, he's graduated from medical school. He's, in, he's married now. He's in Europe waiting for immigration visa status for him and his wife to come to America. And we had a chance in making sure that he could become a doctor. That's our Barnabas, Dr. Jim and Shepard Goto, both medical doctors. And I go back and I think, it hadn't been for Dr. Jim being our Barnabas. It hadn't been for somebody for putting aside all the preconceived notions of what he saw, what the man looked like, and what he was doing, and what the terrorist side, and this is looking weird. Hadn't been for somebody like that, none of that would have happened. 
Folks, an encourager is somebody who can put all those other things aside, see people who walk in the door, people who may look a little different, a little bit odd, and generally walk over to them, love them, and be open your heart and life to them. Every single week, there are people who, on Sunday, people who walk in the doors of this campus and who walk in the doors of the other campus, people who are hurting, people who are looking for a church family, people who are looking for somebody to genuinely care. Will you shun them? Will you turn away from them and ignore them, hoping they go away? Or will you be a Barnabas? Walk over to them, shake their hand, invite them into your life, take a risk on them like Barnabas did with Paul. You never know what kind of difference it can make. That brings us to our fourth passage with Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager by rejoicing in new things. The next time the guy shows up is Acts chapter 11. You remember in the early church how everything was going really well? Everybody was unified? By this time in Acts, things had changed a little bit. Because nobody was spreading the gospel around the world. and They were all huddled in Jerusalem. God allowed a little bit of persecution in Jerusalem. So it scattered people around the world. And where they went, they shared Jesus with other people. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 11. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let me show you where Antioch is. Throw that slide up, Lucas. It's there north of Jerusalem. And these people started speaking to the Hellenists, which are Greek people. Some people want to say it's Greek-speaking Jews, or it's just because some people say it's just Greek people. But what happened is you have these Greeks who all of a sudden start hearing about Jesus. They start trusting in Jesus. They're born again. You have revival breaking out amongst Greek people. Doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize that Jesus was a Jewish thing. And the Jewish people tried to keep to themselves and keep away from Greek society. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is in Greek society, and you want Greeks that are following Jesus, that are having their lives changed by Jesus. And for a lot of Jews, this is really burning their bacon. They do not like this at all. This is the beginning of something that will go through a while through the gospel for the book of Acts. You know, what do you do with non-Jewish people who are turning to Jesus? Do they have to become Jewish to turn to Jesus? Do you have to make them circumcised like Jews? Do they have to follow Jewish holidays? Do they have to follow Jewish laws? Do they have to follow Jewish customs? Because remember, Jesus was Jewish. Well, people are not too sure what to do about this. So they send their man, who's going to check it all out. They send Barnabas to go check out these new Greek Christians. Here's what we read. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That just sort of rolls off the tongue, but you need to understand. Remember who Barnabas is? He's a fully trained Levite. He's a guy who knows all the Jewish ceremonies, who knows all the Jewish customs, who knows all the Jewish ways. And people are hoping that Barnabas is going to get there and say, 
okay, guys, time to sign up for classes. You got to learn how to be a Jew. But that's not what Marcus does. He sees people whose lives are changed by trusting in Jesus alone, and he's like, that's great. I love it. The gospel is going to a people they didn't expect, and it was going in a way they weren't prepared for. But Barnabas could accept it. Barnabas could rejoice in it. And Barnabas could be an encourager of it. He wasn't a Judaizer who was discouraging the spread of the gospel. He was somebody who was just celebrating the spread of the gospel. Even if it was done in a new way and different from what everybody else was used to. And this is where the application comes for us. How many of us, when the gospel starts to spread among people that are not part of our background, when the gospel starts to spread in a way that wasn't the way that we grew up, how many of us can be like Barnabas to be an encourager and celebrate those things? Or how many of us are like Judaizers and say, no, it's not good enough. You have to do it the way I did it years ago. You know, we have an unchanging gospel, but we have an ever-changing world. God is spreading the gospel, the same gospel, but he's often spreading it in ways that are a little different than we would expect among people we wouldn't normally expect. And I would ask you, are you like a Barnabas and are glad when those things happen? Or are you sometimes frustrated when people don't follow your cultural background? I'll give you an example. This is sort of some fun stuff. For years, Christians sung music out of hymn books. Remember those things called hymn books? And then we started putting words on projection screens. And I've been around a long time. People don't realize it, but I've been around. I remember being in a church, I was pastoring a church, and people coming into me and saying, you can use those projection screens, but you have to sing a song out of a hymn book Every single week. I'm like, why does we can't put the hymn words on the projection screen? No, because we have to use a hymn book, because we always use a hymn book in church. Really? It's the same gospel. It's the same message. Why does it have to be done in the way that you've always done it? Why can't it be done in a different way, like projection screens? Now, we laugh at that now. But it was a real issue back then. Just the gospel going in a different way. Here's another one. I, I know that when we built this facility, we put all those like TVs out there. And some people, and this is not Spencer, this was just in general. I mean, Spirit Lake, we talked about this as well. Like, wait a minute, you have to have bulletin boards. Cork bulletin boards. Churches always have cork bulletin boards. Like, well, we're going to try and do it with TVs because we think there's some neat things we can do with TVs we can't do with cork bulletin boards. And for some people, I understand, that was a struggle. I mean, it's the same gospel message. We're just trying to communicate it in a different way. Let me illustrate this. Of all those TVs out there, let me tell you which one is my totally my favorite. It's the one that has the baptisms on it. It's the same one in Spirit Lake as it is in Spencer. I love walking by that TV and seeing people coming out of the water having made a public proclamation of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I could do that on a TV. It's really hard to do in a cork bulletin board. You know, I'm okay with a TV if it's helping me get the gospel out to people. 
That's what matters. Not how it's done, but that the gospel is faithfully presented and faithfully done. And Barnabas could see those new things. He could celebrate it. But a lot of people couldn't. That made him an encourager. That brings us to our last point. Barnabas was an encourager by giving people another chance when others wrote them off. The passage we're going to look at is Acts chapter 15. You know that Paul and Barnabas eventually become sort of good friends. They, they work together for the sake of the fact that the gospel is by Jesus Christ alone, not by Jewish culture. They end up going to the apostles. They present their case to the apostles. The apostles affirm this. People are born by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. You'd think Paul and Barnabas, they've won this great victory. They're like, like buds. They should be inseparable at this point. But you get to the end of Acts 15 and something strange is happening. They're going to go on their second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, I want to bring with me John Mark. And Paul says, absolutely not. See, John Mark is a young man that went with them on their first missionary journey. But partway through, he flaked out and went home. And Paul says, I'm done with that guy. No second chances to him. He let us down. And Barnabas, who's an encourager, says, yeah, he let us down. But you know what? I still believe in him. I still want to give him another chance. Now imagine if you were John Mark and the mighty apostle Paul has written you off. You know how that would make a man feel? But then put yourself in John Mark's shoes. When the mighty apostle Paul has written you off, but Barnabas, the sort of ordinary guy who goes along for the ride, stands up and says, no, I'm going to stand up for John Mark. He deserves another chance. And it even comes to the point that John, Barnabas fights for him, and they split ways. Barnabas takes John Mark, Paul takes Silas, and they go do their missionary work. Now, the, the book of Acts follows Paul and Silas from that point forward, and we sort of don't find out what happens to Barnabas and John Mark. But if you read some other parts of the Bible, you actually do find out what happens. Let me show you. Oh, I jumped a little bit further. Let me read for you Acts 15. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So we've seen that they've sort of separated. They've gone their own way. Later on, we have Paul writing from prison. And he's writing to a friend named Philemon. And you get to the end of Philemon, and there's this little note. Is at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends, you, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers. Wait a minute. Somehow, the guy that Paul wouldn't give a second chance to, that Barnabas gave that second chance to, is now been reunited and reconnected with Paul, and is helping Paul as he's in prison. Then you go off to the Colossians, and it says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Do you see what Paul is saying? 
Everybody knows that I wrote that guy off a few years ago. But he's different. But he's changed. When he, he comes to you, don't shut him out. You welcome him because Barnabas gave him a second chance and it's worth it. Folks, it gets even better. You know the Gospel of Mark in your Bible? You know who wrote that Gospel? John Mark. It's the first Gospel written. Paul wouldn't give John Mark a second chance. Ordinary Barnabas, who was an encourager, did. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, he wanted to give a guy a second chance because he was a young man who failed the first time around. The Gospel of Mark may not, might not even be in your Bible. Boy, did God use an ordinary man like Barnabas in an extraordinary way. He had no idea that by standing up for young John Mark, that same young John Mark would write the first Gospel that we all know and love. The Gospel of Mark. Folks, there are so many ways that Barnabas encouraged. He encouraged the poor through his generosity by making big sacrifices. He encouraged Paul by assuming the best, not the worst. When people shunned Paul, he welcomed him. He rejoiced when the gospel went forward in different ways to different people, when other people were sort of stuck. And he was an encourager who gave people second chances when others had written them off. Folks, life is hard. People can be hard. We all need encouragers in our life. Now, maybe we're not going to be nicknamed the encourager, but I'll tell you what I'd like to have. I'd love for Crosswinds to be nicknamed as the encouraging church. No matter who people are, when they walk in the door, they find others who love and encourage them. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter how they failed, they find love and encouragement here. Because that makes all the difference. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be able to teach your word. Thank you for Barnabas, such a, a little guy, a, a little character, and yet you used him, this ordinary man, in such a big way. Thank you for his encouragement and believing in, in, in Mark. And thank you for using him as an encourager and, and welcoming the Apostle Paul into the Church of Jerusalem when everybody else shunned him away. Thank you for using him, Lord, to be able to embrace the new things that you were doing to spread the gospel, not to be stuck in traditions in the past. May we be a church filled with encouraging people, Lord. No matter what people have done, no matter where they have been, may we be people who love and encourage them too. And all God's people said. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.